Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rock My Life, the show that brings together LGBTQ plus athletes to share their experiences of being gay in sport. My name's Christian John, and this is Rock My Life. Now today's episode is a special NHS edition. During this pandemic, it is easy to get lost in the politics and none of us have been through this before. And yet, thanks to the power of social media, suddenly everyone has become a virus mastermind and begins to think they know better than the government and the doctors. So some people might think that these ridiculous allegations made by these pretend geniuses are funny and will share it with other people or even begin to believe it. Panic buying, for example, was never necessary, especially over toilet roll. We all saw the empty shelves on Facebook and Instagram, but then that sparked off fear and suddenly the whole country began queuing for hours just to get items that they've never bought before. Or certainly not in these quantities, just because of what they saw online. But also, there seems to be so many people simply ignoring the rules of going outside, sitting on park benches, having picnics in large family groups, or taking the whole family of six or more for a walk so then no one can get past at a safe distance. What people don't seem to realise is this virus can cling to other materials, not just our bodies. And so if you're sitting on a park bench or opening gates, you forget to realise that somebody before might have had the virus and has spread it onto these materials, and now you've just touched it. Or if people were wearing gloves, maybe they've passed it onto another surface. It just seems bizarre to me that everyone wishes for this lockdown to be over as soon as possible, yet refuses to follow the rules which are in place to make sure this is over as quickly as possible. So I've asked a lot of athletes that I've interviewed over the weeks, what are they doing to keep themselves safe at home? A lot of people have told me that they are baking, which doesn't surprise me, as all the shops have run out of flour. I mean, good luck to the application processing team of the Great British Bake Off. They are going to be inundated. I'd apply, but if Paul asked me to make anything other than banana bread, I'd be, well, lacking in layers and sitting in the corner with a soggy bottom. Many of you have taken up home fitness, which is brilliant, except you can no longer buy resistant bands from Amazon because they've all run out of stock. I can just imagine in a year's time eBay will be full of these only used once items and no one will want them. And a bit of DIY is on the up. Next year's DIY SOS will be back-to-back episodes of Nick Knowles asking what happened, and some guests being like, well, it was during the lockdown, and, well, I just fancied an open-plan living room and kitchen. I saw it done on YouTube and thought, well, how hard can it be? But it is really important that we do stay at home as much as possible so that we can get back to normal as soon as possible. Now, like I mentioned before, today's episode is dedicated to the NHS and care workers who are every day facing this awful virus. So I want to please ask a huge favour. And if you haven't already, please donate to the NHS Just Giving page. Go on to Google and type www.justgiving.com forward slash campaign forward slash NHS charities COVID-19 Urgent Appeal or www.nhscharitiestogether.co.uk 
I know so many of you are doing the clap at 8pm each Thursday evening or have decided to become volunteers. But seriously, even if it is just one pound, it goes a long way. Now today's guest is a close friend of mine who is also a critical care nurse at a hospital in Manchester and a member of the Manchester Village Spartans. So can you introduce yourself and tell us your name, your age, where do you come from and what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm Matthew, I'm 25, I, I live in Manchester and I work as a nurse. Now obviously at the time of this recording we are currently in lockdown due to the COVID-19. So I wondered if you could tell us how this is affecting you in your role at the hospital. Well I'm still doing pretty much the exact same role that I already do um, but obviously in full PPE, which makes things uh, a lot harder, a lot sweatier. Everything takes twice as long. Um, got a lot more people uh, needing intensive care at the moment, which is, is where I work in the hospital. Um, so it's very busy. I'm working lots of extra shifts because I can't really do anything else other than stay at home and work. So, And it must be emotionally draining as well, seeing people in these conditions. Oh, yeah, massively. I mean, I, I'm used to it anyway because it is part of my job, but on such a large scale, it does sort of get on top of you. After a while, I'll make sure that I do take, you know, my days off and, and fully relax so that I'm not overwhelmed by it all. Now, I'm sure everyone listening is, is extremely grateful of your determination and perseverance throughout all this. And I know every Thursday night I'm there with my husband who... It's kind of become a bit of celebrity where we live. He's constantly dressing up and doing like a victory lap around where we live, trying to get the crowds going and getting the kids involved. Are you able to witness any of the claps that go on on Thursday evenings? Um, I, can, I, I do when I'm off work. I've seen it uh, last week because I was off last Thursday. But I mean, it, it's at eight o'clock. So I finish work around at eight o'clock. So it's when I'm usually either still in the hospital or I've only just left and I've missed it. So um it's, it's mainly when i'm on my days off i'll be stood on my balcony you know clapping along as well um but it's it's nice it's a nice little thing that they're doing well on behalf of all of our listeners i do want to say a massive thank you for everything you're doing and, and your team as well and fingers crossed this can be over soon so we can meet up and celebrate yeah definitely 100 percent. so i want to ask about the time when you decided to come out can you describe what it was like for you so what age you were, what year it was, because I like to think about putting it into perspective of the other listeners and the other interviews that we've done in terms of when you did come out, how was it for different people and who did you come out to first? Yeah, so mine's, uh, I've listened to the, you know, the other episodes and um, mine's, my story's a bit different because I came out a lot later in life. I think I was 20, 21. So it's only going back four or five years um and i was in university i was still dating a girl at the time um and realized you know it's it's not for me <laughs> women are not for me um so yeah i think i realized over the course of that i think i had about a two week period where i was off from um studying and on placement um cuz our, our years obviously um full of doing different placements as, as well as studying. So we only get seven weeks off a year. And um, I'd come home and, I don't know, things just kind of changed for me. I 
first came out to my friends at university and some of my closer friends that I spoke to uh, still from high school and college. Um, and it was sort of a, some people knew already. Uh, some people, it was a complete shock. Um, if you met me now, it would be no shock at all. Um, but at the time, it, it felt like a very big thing for me. But I don't think anyone was really bothered because it was a later in life sort of revelation for me. But we were at the age where it, it was no big deal. Um, it was just one of those things like, yeah, okay, Matt's gay. So. And did you come out to your family at the same time as your friends or was it a little bit later on? It was later, actually. I mean, so I... I came out to my mum, I think it was about eight or nine months after that. Um, I came out to my dad first, actually. I was going to watch a rugby game, uh, funnily enough, with the guy that I was dating at the time. And uh, my stepmom messaged me and was like, so we know you're going out with someone at the moment. It's either this girl who you're friends with at university or it's this guy that you're going to watch the rugby with. Uh, and I was like, yep, yeah, you've got it. It's it's this person. Uh, and then that evening when we came back from the rugby, they'd got us some pizzas in, some drinks and whatnot, and I introduced them to him. And, it, yeah, so that was just normal, like like a normal um, process with my dad and my stepmom. My mum, on the other hand, a bit different, had a very Catholic upbringing, um, and she struggled quite for many years uh, to come to terms with it herself. So I I try and be the sort of supported son, but I have that sort of mentality where I'm like, it's your problem, not my problem. Like, I'm happy with who I am. You've just got to deal with that. So, And it's interesting that you said that you actually had an easier time coming out to your dad rather than your mum, because a lot of people that I've interviewed before, it's been the reverse. It certainly was for me. Was your relationship better with your dad or were you closer with your mum before you came out um I've had a very rocky relationship with my mum for most of like my teenage to young adult years um a lot better in the past sort of three years uh, we have rebuilt our relationship but I my parents divorced when when I was very young I think I was only about 18 months old so I've never known anything different than having divorced parents and I saw my dad like once every two weeks whilst growing up um so he was more of like the cool you know um friend parent sort of thing where we we had more of a friendship than than a son and father relationship we still have that relationship now um and we are a lot closer than when we were younger because i can see him a lot more um i obviously have more of a control of my own life since so i was 16 17 i, I could choose to do that whereas when you're younger obviously it's a lot more who's going to be taking care of the kids sort of thing um but I think I've got a good relationship with both of them and my dad probably from just from knowing who he is and and just as a person it never would have been a big deal for him anyway you know it it sort of comes to the whole uh inclusivity and rugby sort of thing because my dad has played rugby for since he was a teenager even even longer you know he's in his 50s now and he still plays for a veterans team and it is that mentality of I don't really care about you so long as you're happy um which is something that I found a lot with uh playing rugby as a young adult and it's great to hear that you've had that positive relationship I know that some people have 
had more difficult situations. But like you said, perhaps it's the time that we're going through in society that people are less bothered about people in terms of their sexuality. It seems to be a lot more easygoing. People seem to be a lot more accepting, which hopefully is, is where society is going as a whole rather than just be sort of isolated cases. Um, so I want to think about when you were in high school and did you do uh, sports when you were in high school? Were you part of a team? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I grew up um, in Wigan, uh, which is obviously a very large rugby league um, town and it's sort of bred into you. You know, you've got rugby in your veins. So we did play a lot of rugby. Uh, occasionally play football, hockey, you know, all the all the other sort of mandatory stuff. I um, played for our teams. Um, I, I actually excelled at um, table tennis more than anything, um, which is obviously a very solitary sport that you um, there's only one of you rather than the team. And I much preferred that because as a as a teenager. I was not very outgoing. I wasn't very confident. I had friends, but they were more like acquaintances than friends. Um, I was I was the the small shy kid that that did well in school and preferred to keep to himself. Um, so yeah, I, I played the different sports in school, but never played out of school. You know these Saturday leagues and things that all my friends were playing. Uh, my mum was very overprotective in the fact that she didn't want me to get hurt. So I sort of lived a teenage life of being wrapped in cotton wool where I would do what I could do at school, but anything outside of school, uh, my mum wouldn't allow me to go and join a team sport for fear of me getting injured or um, getting into any trouble or anything like that. And then when you went to university, did you decide to take up any sport there? I did consider it. I, um, I did something completely different I went and actually played ice hockey when I was in university for for a little while the issue was that obviously studying nursing um most sports are on Wednesday afternoons in university and I wasn't able to partake because of my uh, lecture schedule and then working placements alongside that as well as studying I just didn't have the time to commit to doing a sport um, I wanted to join uh, the rugby team there. However, the year before, I think they'd had quite a lot of issues with um, initiations and nights out and stuff between like the rugby teams and the netball teams and, and football teams and whatnot. So they'd had a massive clampdown on um, sort of the social aspect of the sports, which would have been the only thing I could have partaken in. So um, I sort of... Didn't really get to experience rugby that much at university um, or any other sport at university other than the half a dozen training sessions I went and played ice hockey. It's interesting that you keep talking about the uh, the social elements of these rugby teams and it is something that comes up quite a lot. I know in my experience when I tried to join the rugby team at university, it was the initiations that was really off-putting because I decided to come out in the first year of being university and joining the rugby, I thought would be really great because I thought with it being university, there would people be from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, but again, I was still the only gay. And then going on these socials, seeing it firsthand, it was very aggressive. It was very, you know, straight guy orientated. 
and it was just really really um not a nice place for me to be so I quickly you know hung up my boots as it were and, and left them to it but it's good that we can start to hear that some universities are clamping down on these initiations and these socials and hopefully with people joining now they're initiations might be less drastic and they can sort of be themselves and enjoy the sport at the same time well yeah i mean exactly i i, I studied in um i studied in hull and obviously now the the, the whole round heads have, have, have started up in the past few years and if they were around when i was at university i would have been a lot more inclined to to go to the training sessions because i know they train at, at at the university but it would have been a more convenient time for me as a full-time student but also I knowing what I know now is that it I wouldn't have had to have put up with that I wouldn't have had to have put up with the initiations and the whole uh, toxic masculinity that I, I saw when I was in university you know I'd, a lot of the people that I did um, study with doing my nursing you know they either were part of the uh, netball team or a hockey team or whatever and there was that whole culture of the girls from one netball team and the boys from a rugby team and stuff and it's like it's just so toxic I did not want to be included in that whatsoever and at the time you mentioned that you were just about coming out and starting to get these uh, gay tendencies and gay feelings was this during your last year of university or was it straight after university? It was my second year, I think, towards the end of my second year of university. Um, and I think I, I attribute it probably to me growing in confidence um, from what I learned in university because as a, being a nurse, you know, having a career in nursing, you've got to be able to speak to anyone uh, about anything, about, you know, very difficult um situations sometimes and it builds you builds you up and have having those personal skills and a lot of self-reflection included so that you can be a better nurse and uh, I learned that if I looked a bit deeper into myself that I wasn't happy with this this and this about myself and that uh, actually this is what I wanted and this is who I am um, so that's all about where it came about from really and in terms of timescale, how long did it take you to confirm in yourself that you were gay? Because some people have said that they had girlfriends and for a while they thought, oh, maybe I'm bisexual. And then eventually they decided, no, I'm, I'm definitely gay. Was this something that you experienced or did you just kind of go from one straight to the other? Um, well, I kind of you know you kind of know you know when you when you're going through your sort of your teenage years and you're a bit more interested in one gender than the other and you're just thinking oh well that's that's another problem that I'll think about at a later time um and it did it sort of slowly grew realized it about myself and then when I did start uh dating um men it sort of all came at once you know I did completely switch on to from one gender to the other and um, not that you know I would never pursue uh, any other sort of relationship it's just I know that that is what makes me happy you know it's it's not like I'm uh, it's not like I'm completely opposed to being um, with someone who's uh, transgender or a woman or whatever but it's the fact that I'm attracted to this gender because of these reasons 
and this person that I love is a man and they just happen to be a man. And that's that's my view on it. And during the time that you were coming out and experiencing these different situations, did you experience any homophobia? Uh, very minimal. Um, and I think that was due to the fact that I am quite a stubborn person. Um, I am quite, quite a nice person. I'm quite uh, friendly to almost anyone. And I'll try and be civil, even if we do have disagreements. However, I can flip from zero to 100 um, in a matter of seconds because if you mess with me and you come for me, then um, I'm going to shut that down as soon as I can. And I've never had it from like on the street sort of thing. I think I can remember one instance where I was holding a boyfriend's hand and, and had some, some comments made, but they were never directly to me. Um, but one thing that does stick in my mind was some friends that I knew from high school uh, who I hadn't seen in quite a while because we were all the way at university. Uh, when I had come back home over, I think it was the Christmas period, um, they had obviously found out from friends of friends of friends uh, that I'd come out and that I was dating a, a man. And one of them messaged me the following morning and then I think I went on a night out and one of them spoke to me on a night out where I was like, is this true about you? Almost like it was a scandal secret, you know, that they were trying to probe me to see if um, see if they could make a joke out of it almost. And I, I was not going to let that happen. I, I was like, I'm going to shut this down because my sexuality is not a joke um, and you're not going to have that power to try and make fun of me. Um, so I surround myself with friends that 100% support me and they these people that tried to make the comments and tried to make it a bit of a laugh and a joke just never had the opportunity because everyone else thought, well, you're a bit of a dick. And through this interview, like, it's really come across that you've had this confidence. And you said to yourself that you've been quite stubborn, that you like to, you know, close things down as soon as they get too upsetting for you. Where do you think this confidence has come from? Or do you think you've always had it? I, I definitely think it came from um, sort of late teenage years, sort of 17, 18, 19, where I was becoming more of myself. I think growing up, I led quite a sheltered life because of um, my mum and um, being very focused on school and not being very social. And then when I started to take these opportunities, I moved away uh, from home for university. I made lots of new friends. Um, I started in a, in a career that it forces you to speak to people. And that built up my confidence because I, I know that I've got to do this because it's my job, but I can I can do this because I'm good at my job. Um, and that has fed into me being able to sort of do and speak to whomever about anything. Um, and it's a very useful trait that I do attribute to um, being a nurse. What I'm going to do now is think about your after university. So did you straight away moved to Manchester or was there a period that you did somewhere else? Um, so I, the, the way that my university ran things is slightly different to, to the other ones here in Manchester. We finished our placements at the end of August 2016 
and we had two months where we were to write our dissertation. So I moved to Manchester in September into um, the hospital accommodation where I had secured a job and I just submitted my dissertation and was waiting for the results. So I literally submitted my dissertation on the Friday and I started working as a supernumerary nurse on the Monday. Um, and then a couple of months later, I got my results from my dissertation, uh, results from my degree, and then waited for the NMC to give me my pin, and I started working straight away. So I never had a, uh, a, a transition phase. I sort of moved to Manchester as soon as I finished my degree and started working straight away. So I want to ask you now about how did you discover the Spartans? So it's um, it was a long time coming. I sort of knew about them. Um, I wasn't very, like, I didn't go out very much. So sort of around the village and things like that. I didn't see um, see the promotion that the, the Spartans do. And I'd lived and worked in Manchester for about two years, uh, two and a half years before I actually built up um, the courage to go to one one of the training sessions and my uh, flatmate Ben who who you've met is um, is probably the person that that we should thank for that really because for about 18 months prior he was like you should go you should go just give it a try if you don't like it you don't have to go again uh, you know you're always talking about rugby you enjoy watching it you know you should just give it a try and it was at a period in my life where i just broken up with a boyfriend and you go through that whole reinvention of yourself you know you're trying to be a better person you go to the gym a bit more you eat a bit healthier um and yeah I just I sent an email along to the recruitment um found out the times when you guys were training and I came down one uh July I think it was end of July one of the evenings and never looked back since that's brilliant. And what was your initial reaction when you came along to that first training session? Um, well, I was shitting myself, but um, it was it was good fun. I think you were doing uh, pre-season training, so it was a lot of cardio, a lot of running. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I'm so out of fitness. Um, but it was fun. Everyone was uh, really welcoming and inviting. And actually, funnily enough, the people that I... Uh, first met at that training session some of them aren't there anymore but I still see um, socially and some of them uh, obviously were really good friends now so looking back now on uh, that first training session my view of people is that oh you're such a nice guy you know you're so welcoming and now they're like some of my closest friends um, it's amazing oh, really because I've got mine you can have <laughs> So I know a lot of people that have been interviewing on the on these podcasts um, have mentioned about the tournaments, like you said, the Union Cup. And for those who are listening who aren't sure of what the Union Cup is, it is like the Bingham World Cup, but mainly just for European teams. And they have always spoken fondly about their tournaments and how it's been an incredible time for them. Can you describe your experiences of not just the Union Cup, obviously that's a, one that sticks out in your mind, but other tours that you've been on? Um, so Newcastle definitely sticks out to me. That was um, that was quite an interesting one. I'd, I'd, I'd never been to Newcastle before. And then uh, Josh and I drove up um, a couple of weeks prior to visit one of his friends 
because uh, obviously, obviously he studied up that end when he went to Durham. So um, we had been briefly, but I'd never seen Newcastle. So for me, the social aspect of rugby, you know, getting to go to these places, um, meeting the other teams and then the celebrating afterwards, regardless of whether you've won or lost, um, is what I love about it. Newcastle definitely sticks out to me because that was so, so much fun. Um, and then where else where else sticks out to me? You know, we've played played in Leeds. Um, I don't think I've ever been out in Leeds, but I would definitely enjoy to go and have the night out with the Leeds Hunters because many of those guys are, are, are just amazing. And then when uh, the Steelers came up only, when was that? That was not, not too long ago, beginning of March, wasn't it? Um, when the, was it the third team that came up? Um Yes. Watching that game was so much fun. I think that was the one where I got a head injury, maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> it's all a bit of a <laughs> It must have been some injury. <laughs> but that, that night I, afterwards was amazing. Obviously, we had that roast um, and stuff. You know, just having the the social aspect of the various different teams, people that you've got, you know, not just one thing in common, but multiple things in common. You know, it's like we're all the same person because you all enjoy playing rugby um, and you don't care about anything else. You know, you're just going to have fun. Um, that's that's what I enjoy about it the most. Now, obviously, when we play against IGR teams, and for those who aren't sure what IGR means, it's international gay rugby teams. And it's a term that's almost like an umbrella for a lot of gay teams, especially in the UK, that are sort of living by a code that is understood by many many teams across the world now and what would you say has been your fondest memory since being with us oh it's got to be winning uh the challenger cup got to be winning the challenger cup in dublin that was amazing like we'd worked so hard all year we had like a, a functioning team that was just so cohesive um it was a pleasure to be playing i mean for me rugby the rugby side of it is a, is a hobby you know I, it keeps me fit I like um, playing I like socializing you know I'm not too competitive but that um, sort of long weekend away in Dublin I, I became very competitive and uh, I'm so glad that we actually won and still not got my bloody medal being a Spartan myself I know that we play both IGR and non-IGR teams what is your experience of playing both types of teams do you have a preference um it depends on the team i would say um a lot of the non-igr like friendlies that we've played um i'm thinking specifically the the previous season um they've been very welcoming you know um i can't remember the name of the team but they had like that little shack that was on a hill and we had to walk fucking miles to get to the pitches. They were so welcoming. Um, and then they came and played us uh, later on again in the season and they wanted a, a night out on Canal Street, you know. Um, they were extremely welcoming. And then on the flip side, I'm not going to name names, but there are certain IGR teams that you think you don't really want to socialise with because they're not very nice. But um, I think you, you kind of get that in rugby in the fact that you see it mainly with spectators in in uh bigger games that you don't have hooligans you don't have rugby hooligans because people are just there to watch the game or they're just there to play the game you don't typically fight um it's more of like an accepting atmosphere and i think that 
is the same for IGR and non-IGR teams. You you will still get idiots that play in every kind of sport, but they're a one-off. When it's a when it's an institutional thing from uh, rugby teams, and it's probably more so, I want to say the younger teams, maybe university teams and teams that are well established that have sort of under sixteen teams, where they do have that immaturity um, in the club tends to foster um, more of homophobia. The more established teams, like your vets teams, like your uh, IGR teams that typically have people that are more mature, sort of in the 20s and above, they tend not to encounter those issues. And a question that keeps coming up whenever I sort of promote these podcasts on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and the same question does keep coming up where has actually been sometimes from people that I know have recently uh, left an IGR team or who play for rugby, but they might not play in an IGR team. And they keep asking, is there still a need for an IGR team? Why do we need these game-inclusive teams when all rugby teams should be inclusive? And like you've mentioned before, not worry about sexuality, just on the love of the sport. I mean, in an ideal world, we wouldn't need IGR teams, would we? We'd, we'd, everyone would be inclusive, everyone would be accepting. Um, but you've got to think that a lot of people that have grown up um, either knowing they were gay or staying in the closet or they've come out from an early age and they may have experienced homophobia or some kind of uh, abuse, they don't feel comfortable to be in those situations. The main thing that I've encountered with IGR is that you can have someone who has played rugby their entire life come down for the first training session, or you can have someone who has never played rugby in their life and barely knows how to throw a ball, and they can come down as well. And it's that no-pressure atmosphere that I think IGR teams, regardless of being, you know, gay or bisexual men, um, it's the inclusive side of it. So perhaps you know, in the future, we may not end up with IGR teams, but I still think the promotion of inclusive clubs for um, mature um, people is probably a good idea because, I mean, I didn't play, um, like I said before, I didn't play sort of in a Saturday league or anything like that when I was young. And would you say you had a preference between playing one or the other? Um <sighs> I probably would say IGR, mainly because we're closer in skill. So the games are much more fun to play. Um, The non-IGR games I have played, um, they tend to be better than us. And, you know, the only way you're going to improve is to play a better team. Um, But obviously, you always want to win. So, yeah, IGR, I'd probably say IGR. Schools and stuff like that, whereas... You know, I've made so many friends in my adult life through being a member of an inclusive club. Um, So I definitely think that we should keep with inclusive clubs. But, you know, we may we may move away from that. But who knows? For the time being, I think it's a great idea. And a couple of things that I've kind of picked up on on talking to you and other people is that the great thing about the IGR teams is that it doesn't matter what ability level you are. You can join at any talent level. And also about fitness, we've, I mean, in the Spartans, we've got a massive spectrum in terms of fitness levels. And it's never been an issue. Like you've 
a lot of people who may have had a week of fitness have built up their strength and been able to play a full 80 minutes. But then also we've had some people who have already had that fitness, but they've then picked up the ability to play rugby at a much higher level. Do you think that if you went into a non-IGR team or say we didn't have the IGR teams, like you said, in the ideal world, that these other teams would accept people regardless of sexuality, do you think it would be the same situation? Do you think people would be happy to join a team that's been going for years, even though they haven't picked the ball um, up before? I mean, I, you, I'd like to think that um, people would still have the confidence to go and say, yeah, I want to play rugby. I love the sport. I'm going to go and join my local team. Um, for my, my view on it is that probably there isn't the structure in place in those teams to help people develop. Um, I mean, I could just be talking a load of rubbish, but um, you typically tend to find that these um, large established clubs have got, you know, feeder teams. You start when you're eight, nine, ten, and you're playing rugby all your life. And those are the sort of people that are in the adult teams. You don't typically tend to see... Um, you know, someone who is an adult who's never played a sport before, then join a club and get the support and mentorship that you get through IGR. You know, the, the, the IGR teams that I know of are all structured in a very mentoring way. You know, it's more of like teaching, you know, it's a class sort of session where you're being taught how to do, uh, you know, pick up a new skill uh, learn how to play the sport whereas the larger established clubs that are in competitive divisions may not have the capacity to do that because that's something they've never had uh, the demand for and just an interesting question you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but obviously uh, to be in part of an IGR team you have to be 18 or over do you think that it would make any difference for people being you know, maybe in high school or slightly younger or in college, they might not be 18 yet, but they think that they are gay or they might be bisexual or even straight, but they don't want to be playing for a school team. They'd rather come and play for an IGR team. Do you think this is something that might benefit? Uh, it's an interesting idea. I mean, um, the main the main point of the IGR uh, teams are to be inclusive. So to open up to a, a you know a younger audience and have them come along and, and train them and ne not necessarily play because of because of the age limit but you know have uh, local friendlies for example or, you know with the, the same age range i think that would be a great idea um i don't know whether or not the the teams would have the capability to do it like you were saying about the non-igr um clubs that are quite large and established they typically tend to have the younger um the younger teams that are used for mentorship whereas within igr you are mentoring adults um so i don't know whether igr would have the capacity to be able to do that but i would you know completely support um being inclusive of anyone based on um you know age or gender or sexuality and um, they want to play just come and play you know if the rules say you can't play competitively then fine but still come and toss the ball around with your friends that's really positive to hear that i mean thinking of my own personal background if i'd known that there were gay and inclusive teams when i was 
a lot younger, so 15, 16, when I started to have these uh, same-sex feelings and wanting to kind of be open and, and be gay, knowing that, that there was that support network out there, I think really would have benefited myself, even if the, the rules will never change and we always have to be 18 before we can join them. At least there's something to mm. aspire to, to look forward to. And would you think that this might be the same for yourself if you've known um, it a lot younger? I mean... I think if I if my if my mother had allowed me to join a team, I would have jumped at the chance to join any team. But I think I would have felt more comfortable joining an inclusive team that um, the people that were members were of the same skill uh, and experience as myself, um, because then you're not feeling as though you're lagging behind or you know you don't feel like you're way in front of everyone you know you want to be training and practicing and playing with people of the same skill um so i definitely would have if there had been the option there so a lot of people when i've asked them about their experience of being in the rgr team they've said that their life has always changed for the better whether it's building on confidence or whether they've had some sort of mental well-being issue that they've overcome because of the support they get through their IGR team. Would you say that your life has drastically changed for the better because you've joined um, this IGR team? I would. Yes, I would. That, that doesn't sound very, you know, positive, but it, it, it is. Um, I have a lot, a lot more friends um, that are not my work colleagues, that are not friends that I've known since primary school and high school. Um, you know, friends that I see on a weekly basis, that I message on a weekly basis. Um, and that was the one thing that was missing from my life um, living here in Manchester. You know, it my, my job's the same, my family's exactly the same, but I am a very social person and um, my friends are almost like my second family. So they're very important to me. And I've made so many friends through being a member of the Spartans. Um, that it is one of the best things I've ever done. Great. And it's great to hear that you would agree with a lot of the people that have said that IGR has, has definitely been a turning point in their lives. So what I want to do now is almost like a RuPaul moment. If you were able to go back in time and meet your younger self, what words of wisdom would you give to um, that younger I you? would say take any opportunity that is thrown your way, say yes, and just go for it. Because at the end of the day, what are you going to lose? That's a brilliant thing to say. And coming to the end of our interview now, thinking about people that might be listening to this podcast and thinking, yeah, rugby really sounds something I want to do. What would you say to them in terms of how to get in contact or maybe they're a bit shy? What would you say to kind of build up their self-esteem to come along um, to these training sessions well, I would, like you did? I, like I've just said uh, in, in a letter towards my younger self, you know, just give it a go you know send that email send that message um to you know recruitment or uh, the facebook page instagram page of you know whatever your local team um find out when they train and even if you don't feel comfortable um taking part go and watch for the first few times you'll get to meet people you know even if i was just stood at the side of the pitch i know what i know now someone would have approached me and said, hi, how are you doing? You know, and started to chat to me. Just having that first conversation will open so many doors. It literally is just having the confidence to, um, to put yourself out there, which it, 
it sounds like I'm trying to make it sound easy and it's not, it's a very difficult thing. Um, but at the end of the day, what are you going to lose? You know, you're always going to regret not giving it a go. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. At least you gave it a try. Exactly. And I think being with the, the benefit of being with social media is that you can message them and almost before you attend these training sessions, you can build up that communication with someone and they can then look out for that person at training and then make sure that they can pair up with them. And I'm sure, you know, I speak about the Spartans, but I'm sure that any IGR team are the same, that it doesn't seem to matter whether you're brand new or whether you've been there years, you just bond together really quickly and you can then meet up with them, you know, like we do at the bars afterwards and, and socialize and, and Facebook and Instagram and all these social media platforms do allow people to communicate with each other a lot more than when they used to before social media, where some people used to feel isolated. Exactly. Yeah. I, Would I you agree with that? Agree. I mean, just from what you're saying then, I'm just, just thinking back to, you know, when the, when the Spartans first formed, uh, you know, they had a little meeting in uh, Via Fossa, I believe. And um, I'm just thinking back, you know, before social media, how did people know about them? How did people, you know, get involved and how did they recruit people? Now we've got so many different uh, platforms and formats in which to recruit people. Um, it's, it's never been easier for you to get involved in uh, in playing an IGR sport. So we're coming to the end of the interview now. And I just, again, want to really say a big thank you for your time. So I know that your days off are very valuable to you at this time. Um, was there anything that you wanted to say that we haven't picked up on or any questions that you had? Um, we get to stay the at home, protect the NHS, all that jazz, you know. No, but seriously, <laughs> um, it, it, it's hard work at the moment in the hospitals. So if you are going a bit stir crazy at home, listen to one of these podcasts and just stay at. Thanks, Matt. Well, I'm sure you can agree that that was a really inspiring story and loads of important messages in there. Now, like I said, this is an NHS special podcast. So if you did enjoy today's episode, please help by donating anything you can to their Just Giving campaigns. The website's again, www justgiving.com forward slash campaign forward slash NHS charities COVID-19 urgent appeal or www.nhscharitiestogether.co.uk and remember stay safe stay at home save lives thank you well that's that another episode of Rock My Life Done a big thank you to my guests today and make sure you check them out on social media. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Rock My Life Podcast or CJ underscore Mike. I'm Christian John and this is Rock My Life.